It is, of course, the continuing saga of David and Absalom, which is a continuing saga of a larger set of episodes that started with David's sin with Bathsheba. The prophet told him that it was going to bring terrible results and consequences to his household. The sword would not leave his house. So it continues here. And now we've come to chapter 18 in 2 Samuel. David, well, let me back up. We have never failed to see in this whole thing since the rebellion of Absalom, the sovereign hand of God protecting David, who is God's king, the covenant, he has a covenant with David. And it's amazing how in the midst of the fulfillment of the consequences of his sin, God still continues to honor the covenant that he has with David and the word that he's made with him. And of course, all of these promises of the covenants, even salvation, does not, as a matter of fact, it cannot originate in the mind of man. We're, we're too bad, we're too fallen, we're depraved. It always originates with God and God, therefore, assumes the responsibility of delivering what he said he would do. But at the same time, he will not overlook the truth that sin brings terrible consequences into a person's life. David was no different. A great portion of the Bible is dedicated to the life and and reign of King David. It was to King David that God made the promise, the son of David would sit on the throne. And finally, the son of David would rule in the great kingdom yet to come. It was God who in Ezekiel proclaimed a pause to the sons of David sitting on the throne until he said, to paraphrase, until I place the son of David on the throne, which of course is Christ. David, we have seen, is an emotional character. And the emotions of a man seem to be magnified in David's life. He really knew how to be happy before the Lord, dance before the Lord. He wrote music. Some of it was happy and some of it was doleful. The Psalms. He was a man of intense prayer. God, interestingly, inspired his prayers. God, <laughs> David probably was unwitting to the truth, but God gave to him his prayers that became Psalms. And 
we see how emotional he is, especially in many of his psalms. The fact that he is a man of great emotion is not lost here in the uh, part of the scripture where Absalom falls and David is restored to his throne. After, after he sinned with Bathsheba, his life was never the same. His greatness was tarnished. His, his greatest victory seemingly was against his own son who had usurped the throne in Jerusalem. That's not much to brag about, really. But it shows both the love and justice of God. David, nor any of us, could escape the consequences of sin. It's a terrible thing that has already brought the death. It has brought dishonor to one of his daughters, a death to one of his sons, and now death to another. But as we backtrack and bring ourselves up to where we are here, it's amazing how David, who was the supreme underdog when all this started, when Absalom just won the hearts of uh, all of the people, and he was the handsome guy, you know, he was the best looking guy with the best hair. Um, and everybody, he, he was winsome and charming. He mixed with the people and he, he got out there and helped settle uh, debates and arguments with people who had lawsuits against. Well, it's just all kind of things that went in his favor. And then, of course, he came right in and took the throne and somehow David found himself running away barefooted and with nothing but a robe covering him. But so many went with him. He still had these loyal, mighty men. And so God's spirit is at work. David left behind spies who were strategically placed by the divine intervention of God. And they were there in the inner circles of the court of, of Absalom so that David could receive key information, key intelligence, what was going on. Then there, was, there were the two counselors that gave differing counsel to Absalom. And wouldn't you know it, he took the counsel of the one who hadn't been the one that had always been right. Just the intervention of God. Which gave David enough time to organize whatever he was doing as they were hiding from Absalom. The Spirit of God is greatly at work in the turmoil that was going on. Absalom was not the leader that David had been. He made foolish decisions. And all you had to do was to 
play upon his ego and his arrogance and his pride. And he'd listen to you because he just thought he was wonderful. We've seen all that, which brings us up now to a chapter where a strengthened David is presented. Just enough time, just the right decisions at just the right time, just the right people in just the right place. But now King David is strengthened and he reveals how good he is at being the underdog. It started with Goliath, right? Well, it probably started with the bears and the wolves when he was just a kid out in the pastures. We're not told much about that. But he obviously was never afraid of a challenge. Now, when he became king, of course, he sought the Lord in whether to attack, whether to fight. Is the battle mine? Yes, the battle is yours. And many of those times he was against overwhelming odds. He was against, he was always the, not always, but very often the underdog until he became recognized as a mighty warrior king. And the Lord, of course, you know, in the Psalm, the Lord said, David acknowledged under the inspiration of the Lord in the Psalm, he acknowledged how God had taught his hands to war, his fingers to do battle. And his feet could run and work so fast. And he was never afraid and he certainly never backed down from a challenge. This is a great challenge. Maybe the greatest of challenges Because when it all started, Absalom had the overwhelming odds of of numbers of people, the favor of the people, the good report. And uh, David was pictured as a, a cowering king who had, in his age, now become weakened and just couldn't respond. But all the time that David just keeps doing what David did, he, that he did best. Kept organizing the people, strengthening the people, getting the intelligence that, he, that, that came from inside the court, began to make his decisions and began knowing just how this thing was, was working, uh, slowly moving in his favor. That brings us here now to verse one in chapter 18 of 2 Samuel. David numbered the people that were with him. He placed over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds. Well, he had a great commander. How many times, how many wars had he had fought? How many times had his best soldiers who were still loyal to him, how many times were they there in the heat of battle with him? They had become courageous, fearless. They were like lions on the battlefield. David sent forth the people, a third in the hands of Joab, a third in the hands of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and a third under the hands of Ittai the Gittite, who had proven himself to be loyal during all this time. The king said to the people, I too will go forth with you. This is just the way he had always done it. He was there in the heat of battle. Uh, in the, in the wars that Israel had fought under his leadership. 
But the people objected. Those who had been loyal to him out there in the woods. The people said, you shall not go forth. For if we flee, they will not pay attention to us. Now, even if half of us should die, they still will not pay attention to us. For now you are equal to 10,000 of us. Therefore, now it is better that you be for us from the city as aid. The king said to them, what seems best to you, I will do. And the king stood by the gate and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. So David acquiesces. The people are saying, if a random arrow struck you in the face or in the head or in the chest and you fell in battle, we would be nothing. Frankly, probably we worse than nothing. There's no telling what the other army would have done to them. And so they're saying, you know, you're worth a lot more here with us. Those who are fighting your army, knowing that you are here commanding the army, the great King David, who had won so many battles over so many years, the tremendous warrior king, he's in charge. That's worth a lot. That's worth thousands of soldiers out there fighting. David agreed to that. And so the people went forth to battle. And the king, and the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Itai, saying, deal gently for me with the youth, with Absalom. And all the, purple, all the people heard when king, the king commanded, when the king commanded all the captains regarding Absalom. The love of a father. Okay. The heart of a lion king in battle, leading thousands as he, as he had done. God gave him a heart for war. That, his, that he could protect his people, that he might be the great shepherd king. The, the, like the shepherd protects his flock, David would protect Israel. This man was fearless in battle. This man knew how to fight. Didn't matter what the odds, odds were against him. And he had great faith in God. So the great warrior king Reveals a weakness. That's my boy. Who's leading that other side against us. Naturally, in a normal field of, on a normal field of battle, the great prize was to kill or capture the other king. Not this time. Deal gently with him. Don't do to him what I've seen you do so many times before. We've seen in our study through First and Second Samuel those times when David himself would bring a rebellious leader into his presence and David would thrust him through with the sword. 
meeting out justice according to the rules that existed, but not this time. This is my son. Please deal gently with him. Everybody heard it, it says. The people heard when the king said this. And the people went out into the field against Israel. And the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. Okay, this is a heavily wooded area. It's a little bit different from some battlefields. This would add to the advantage that David and his men would have. And the people of Israel were beaten there before the servants of David and the slaughter there on that day was very great. 20,000 men. Overwhelming victory. The underdog had done it again. What a great victory for King David and his servants who came out of the forest and fought with great ferocity against the people of Israel. Now, when you study the greater context of this whole thing, you get the idea that even though the numbers were in favor of Absalom's army, many, perhaps most of those people were ordinary citizens who said, you know, we want to go fight. And they just didn't have any experience really in fighting. It's the idea that you get, which gave further advantage to David and his men. They knew how to fight in the woods, in the thickness of a forest. They knew how to fight on mountains and in, from caves. They knew all about everything. For years they'd done it, decades maybe. And it seems as though it really didn't last that long. It was a slaughter in favor of David's servants. The battle spread from there over the face of all the land and the forest devoured more of the people than the sword devoured on that day. And Absalom chanced to come before the servants of David. And Absalom was riding upon his mule. And the mule came under the thick boughs of the great terebinth, the big great tree, set of trees. And his head caught hold in the terebinth. <laughs> and he was placed between the heaven and the earth. And the mule that was beneath him passed on, kept galloping. Meanwhile, Absalom, now understand here in the Hebrew, this is something that's interesting. It says his head was caught not his hair. So the trees were thick, the branches were low, and it means that he was galloping through and apparently his head got stuck in the fork of limbs from the tree. He was galloping so fast that his neck was jammed so tightly that he couldn't do anything except hang there, dangle. Now you can see him 
Now, this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. But all that pretty hair only messed him up. Stuck by his head, probably shaking his head, trying to get loose. The hair becomes entangled with smaller branches and he's kicking and carrying on and there's nothing he can do. The mule's gone. It's like he's just hanging there. Okay, so a man saw it and told Joab, he said, behold, I saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth. Joab said to the man who told him, now if you'd seen it, then why didn't you kill him? (laughs) Why didn't you go ahead and smite him there to the ground? And it would have been incumbent upon me to give you 10 pieces of silver and a belt. He would give him a a reward of honor, a lot of money. I would have really given you a good reward if you had killed Absalom. The man said to Joab, though I should weigh on my palms a thousand pieces of silver, I would not stretch out my hand against the king's son. Because before our ears did the king charge you and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Take care, whoever it may be, of the youth of Absalom. Take care of him. And even if I would deal falsely with myself, now nothing can be hidden from the king, and you yourself would stand from afar. It's pretty tough. I could have killed him and I could have tried to hide, but somehow the king finds out. Somehow the king always knows. And when I would have gotten in trouble with the king, you'd have just been standing over there like you didn't know what was happening. So this was a, this was a loyal servant who didn't feel it within himself to disobey the king and kill Absalom. Job said, I should no longer request you. And what he says here, you're dismissed. I don't want to see you anymore. Get out of my sight. Go on. He took three darts in his hand. Now the, the Hebrew word there, apparently he fashioned wooden spears. Wooden, he made spikes out of the points. It's not the word for spear. It's the word for sticks, really. Darts is, a, in my opinion, a good translation. He took three darts in his hand and thrust them into Absalom's heart while he was yet alive in the heart of the terebinth. And there circled about 10 young men who were Joab's armor bearers and they struck Absalom and killed him. Joab blew with a shofar and the people returned from pursuing after Israel for Joab held back the people. Well, this was pretty much the end of the war. They took Absalom and they cast him in the forest into the great pit and they placed over him a very large heap of stones and all of Israel fled each to his tents. Now those are the people who were following Absalom. They're called the people of Israel. The army of David at this point, they're called the servants of David. 
And Absalom had taken and established for himself in his lifetime the monument, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son in order to cause people to remember my name. And he called the monument after his own name, and they called it Yad Absalom to, to honor him until this day. Now, this is a great victory. But David's heart is broken because of what has happened. Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, let me now run and bring news to the king that Yahweh has avenged him from the hand of his enemies. Joab said to him, you are not the man to bring news this day, but you shall perhaps bring news another day. But this day you shall not bring news because the king's son is dead. Job said to the Cushite, go tell the king what you've seen. The Cushite bowed down to Joab and he ran. And Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, continued again and said to Joab, come what may, please allow me to run after the Cushite. And Joab said, why should you desire to run, my son, since for you there is no reward given for the news? But what, come what may, he said, I will run. And he said to him, run. Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and he went and he got ahead of the Cushite. David sat between the two gates and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate to the wall. He lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, there was a man running alone and the watchman called out and he told the king and the king said, if he is alone, he has news to tell. He came nearer and nearer. And the watchman saw another man running and the watchman called to the gatekeepers and he said, behold, there's another man running alone. And the king said, this one also brings news. And the watchman said, I see the running of the first one is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. The king said, he's a good man. Surely he comes with good news. Ahimaaz called and said to the king, peace. And he bowed down to the king on his face to the ground. And he said, blessed is the Lord your God who has delivered up the men that raised up their hand against my Lord, the king. And the king said, is there peace with the young man Absalom? And Ahimaaz answered, I saw a great crowd when Job sent the servant of the king and me, your servant. But I did not know what it was. The king said, turn aside and stand there. And he turned aside, turned aside and he stood. And behold, the Cushite came and the Cushite said, let the Lord my king receive tidings that Yahweh has avenged you today from all that rose up against you. And the king said to the Cushite, is all well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite said, let the enemies of my Lord, the king, be like that young man. And so with all those that have risen against you for evil. So he basically said he's dead. And may all of your enemies be dead. Thus. David, I don't know how many times, scores maybe of times, David as the king as the warrior, king, leader of armies, 
defender of Israel. I don't know, I don't know how many times. Surely there were other times than just those that were given in the scriptures. That David and his men went to battle. From the time that they had been chased of Saul until this present time. All of those years had passed. Battles. Slain enemies. And David would always rejoice with his men. That they had won the battle. But you see, David knows that the same word of God that guaranteed him through the covenant that he was the king of Israel is the same word of God that told him he would suffer grievously for his sin. And this victory was not the same. This Cushite had come and had told him that Absalom had fallen that Absalom was dead. Now this continues on into chapter 19, so let's look at it. And the king trembled, and he went up to the upper chamber of the gate and wept. And thus he said as he went, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died in your stead, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now you see, that's a terrible thing to say. People had given up everything to stand by his side and then go to battle with him and for him. But what he says here is, I would rather that I had been killed than you. That's a terrible thing for him to say, but he's overwhelmed. He's, a, he's an emotional man. He's overwhelmed with emotion. And it was told to Joab, behold, the king is weeping and mourning over Absalom. And uh, the victory that day turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard on that day saying, the king is saddened over his son, is grieved. It's kind of a strong word that's used there. He's saddened. He's brokenhearted. That's what it means. His heart is broken because his son is dead. So Joab comes really to give him the proper counsel. And the people sneaked that day into the city as people that are ashamed sneak away when they flee in battle. The king covered his face and the king cried with a loud voice, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Joab came to the king into the house and he said, Today you have embarrassed all of your servants. Today all of the people who have stood with you, they gave up everything. They lived difficult lives out here in the woods to stand by you and you've embarrassed them. These servants today saved your life. The lives of your sons and daughters. He had other sons, you know. And the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines. They put everything on the line and they went against overwhelming odds and they were the underdogs and they stood by you and they followed your command. And you've put them to shame. 
because of your grieving over the man who was your enemy and would have certainly killed you. By loving those that hate you and hating those that love you. For on this day you have declared that you regard neither princes nor servants. Since I perceive today that if Absalom had lived and we all had died today, then it would have been proper in your eyes. Now arise and go out and speak to the heart of your servants. For I swear by Yahweh that if you do not go forth, not one man will remain with you tonight. Now this will be worse for you than all the misfortune that has befallen you from your youth until now. That was actually very solid counsel. They gave a big portion of their life. They gave themselves in battle, forsook everything they had left their home and fortune to stand with you in a very difficult lifestyle out here in the woods, thinking that behind every cracking stick, the armies of Absalom were coming to destroy us, and they have stood by you and won this great victory. And you are crying because you won. What does that say to your servants? Those who have followed you. Joab said, I'll tell you what. By nightfall, they'll all have forsaken you. You'll be alone then. The throne will be empty. Chaos will ensue. No, kind, no telling what kind of civil war will come. If you let this attitude prevail in your heart. We'll stop here, but as it turns out, David will return to Jerusalem as the king. As the story continues, we'll pick it up there next time. So right now, let's have our uh, deacon prayer time.